you are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. All right, we're going to get into the Gospel of John. Let's pray first. Father, we just thank you for uh, this morning. We pray that um, as we have been in your presence worshiping you, Lord Jesus, we would continue our worship, or we did continue our worship with our tithes and offerings, Father, that we are giving back to you as a form of worship. And we'll continue on, Lord, um, allowing our hearts to be transformed, our spirit to be enriched. And uh, for those, Lord Jesus, who are here who don't know you yet, that, Father, that they would realize this is a safe place to check you out and uh, that they would experience a part of you today as well. Let the words that I speak today come directly from heaven. Father, that would uh, help us to be better followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we um, journeyed in the book of John. Uh, We are kind of doing a survey, quite honestly, of the book of John. Um, One of the concerns that uh, I've noticed is that even with our young people, um, they are not as well versed in the Bible as um, probably we would like. And the onus is on, yeah, moms and dads, but it's also on us as church leaders to, and then then I've realized for all of us too, that we sometimes just talk about topics and we never have an opportunity to actually get through some some books of the Bible to, to better understand what um, God is trying to say to us through his uh, divinely inspired word. And so this survey is going to help us. So today I'm going to actually break it down into kind of two parts for you. I'm going to kind of go through the next section of the survey uh, of probably John chapter, finish up John chapter one. We're going to hit John two, three, and four today. And, um, and we'll go through that. And then I'm going to put like a little comma because Jesus talks about some spiritual principles in there. And then I'm going to, um, almost give you another little kind of rounded message. So you're going to get like a two for one this morning. Um, there you go. Uh, you like that? And, um, don't be overwhelmed. I would just ask that you pray that you would receive one thing that the Lord is speaking to your heart today. Um, because when I share these words, I truly believe that these are words um, that are going to touch your heart and um, engage with your spirit that's going to transform your life. And so be ready for that. So um, last week, we really did talk about the how John was um, relating the book of Genesis and that finding Jesus was at the beginning of time. And we talked about that, and then we talked about um, how we've all received grace upon grace, and then we talked about the importance of grace and giving grace, right? Grace is unmerited favor or favor that's undeserved. And we talked about that a little bit. Anybody have a chance to give a little grace this week? Raise your hand. I know I have. Um, and so live that out. It, it is for your blessing to offer grace. Well, then we go into, we're going to start in verse 19 of chapter 1. John the Baptist um, begins to, or John, who is the writer of this, starts talking about John the Baptist, who is actually a relative of Jesus. If you remember that Elizabeth and Mary, when they were both pregnant, had this encounter and uh, one of the babies leapt inside, I believe it was John the Baptist, leapt inside of Elizabeth's womb. And... But it didn't seem like they really knew each other super close. But John the Baptist begins to 
Um, he's the one leading the way of introducing Jesus as he's coming to fruition of what God has sent him there for. And so people are coming to John the Baptist because there's something special about him. And they saying, are you the Christ? Are you, who are you? Are you a prophet? And John's just like, no, no, no. My jo only job is to point the way to Jesus, which actually is all of our job as well, right? Our job is to not think we're anything too special. Our job is to say, but let me show you who Jesus is, right? Okay, so then we go into um, John the Baptist kind of, um, again, having these encounters with people saying, who is, who are you? Then we're going into who is Jesus? And the writer John here begins to uh, unpack this idea of who Jesus is by, by the process of People, Jesus starting to engage his first disciples. And so in verse um, 29 of chapter 1, and again, I'm going to go survey. So you just want to crack open your Bible, some, take some notes, and you can kind of go dig down and read line by line later. But, but what you're going to find is, I'm going to turn over to where I, oh yes, here we go. You're going to find that he begins to unpack the names of who Jesus is all the way through until the, all, all the rest of chapter 1. It's these encounters that Jesus has, and then people start telling Jesus who he is, and Jesus himself begins to confirm who he is. So there's sevens, and actually John likes sevens. John likes sevens. The number seven is the number of perfection, so it makes sense that he's talking about seven names of, of Jesus. So in this writing, he talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God, number one. Number two, the Son of God. Number three, a rabbi, or a rabbi really just means teacher. Number four, Messiah. Number five, King of Israel. Number six, Jesus of Nazareth. And then number seven, Son of Man. So if you were to wrap all these things up into a statement, this is what John would be really trying to say, that he makes this claim. The fully human Jesus of Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. Okay, I, I'm going to be just giving you information right now, but we'll get into the transformation part here in a minute. But the idea is the fully human, it's really important that Jesus was fully human and fully God. The fully human Jesus of Nazareth, he, that was prophetic where he was going to be coming from. That was important that John needed to connect the prophetic nature of Jesus's existence. Is the messianic king, he's the Messiah, the, the savior, king of the world and teacher of Israel. In other words, he initially came to the Jews and then later we have others like Peter and Paul who ended up coming to the Gentiles. In other words, saying all humanity, but first he was the king of the Jews. Um, and the son of God who would die for the sins of the world. All right, so we kind of know a lot of these things, but it's kind of interesting. You could do some studies of, you know, Lamb of God, the Old Testament. It was like there had to be a sacrifice to make right relationship between humanity and God. And, um, but we're not going to go into that today. Again, just keeping this as a survey. 
Next, we go, John goes into these, um, these, these accounts of what Jesus took place. Again, remember these historical, actual accounts uh, that took place. And, but he's talking about them in a pattern. So I'm only going to talk about the first uh, four um, stories or accounts that Jesus has. But he, he kind of, in, from verse or chapter 2 through chapter 12, it begins to talk about these patterns that Jesus makes a claim or performs a sign, and it usually results in people getting upset with Jesus. There's a misunderstanding and they get angry. That, that, that's, a, that's a very constant thing that goes on. So in other words, that, that gives you hope to say when you're a follower of Jesus, you're probably going to be misunderstood, <laughs> and sometimes people are going to get angry with you if it happened to the Son of God. So we're going to go and just talk about these four events that took place, these four kind of miracles or encounters that Jesus has that, that John writes about. And, and they're really interesting because they, Jesus always did something to make a point, and it typically was not the point just as that you would see on the surface if you just re- read the story. So he uses four Jewish institutions, a wedding, a temple, a rabbi or a Pharisee. Pharisee was also a teacher, but you can also say Pharisee to rabbi also, which means teacher. And then a sacred well. Um, So he uses these four stories, um, and Jesus has a purpose of what um, takes place. So the very first story we can read in chapter 2 is... uh, an encounter with Jesus at a wedding feast, his very first miracle that he does, very first sign, actually, he turns water into wine. You may know that story or you may not. Basically, wedding feast, they run out of wine. Mary goes, Jesus, go do your thing. And uh, first of all, I think it's interesting that Mary knew that Jesus actually, being this is his first sign that's recorded, that Mary knew that Jesus could do something about it. Makes your mind think a little bit, a little bit. Was he practicing on his miracles before? I don't know. <laughs> so, but he takes about 120 gallons of water and turns it to wine, and it was the best wine. Um, the, the people at the party says, you left the best wine to the last. Now, the interesting thing about this is in his first sign, that Jesus, the recorded first sign of Jesus, it reveals something about Jesus to us. Now, in Isaiah 25, verse 6, it's a prophetic thing about Jesus. There is the messianic kingdom would have great wine is what it says. The messianic kingdom would have great wine. So Jesus, we know, is the one who brought the kingdom of God here to earth. He was the king of that. And he would say the messianic king would have great wine. So this kingdom would be filled with God's generosity and, and leaving the best for his people. The generosity of God's kingdom. Jesus was expressing that this is what it would look like. So his first sign, the best wine. He's connecting it also to the prophetic nature of the Old Testament uh, verse in Isaiah 25, verse 6. So next we have uh, another uh, kind of Jewish institution would be the temple. Now, if you remember, the temple was the place where the priests would conduct their sacrifices. It was where people would make right relationship with God through a sacrificial system. And um, 
in the temple that his presence was kept in the Holy of Holies. Now, we remember when Jesus died, the veil, big heavy curtain that separated the presence of God was ripped in two, meaning that um, we would have access to God. But here it is. He's now in, in chapter 2. Jesus comes into the temple and he's seeing that people are selling ox and sheep, doves, all these sacrificial uh, animals, and Jesus is really upset with it, with the people. And he actually, here's the first time we see some anger from Jesus. He makes a whip, he turns over tables, and he, and he throws everybody out of the temple courts. Now, if you read that on the surface, it's like, okay, you could say, well, he wasn't, he didn't, God doesn't want commerce in, in his church. He doesn't want, um, you know, he doesn't want to put a heavy burden on people to come to God. But the reality of, of this is that he begins to, what he says later, he says, in three days, well, this temple will be destroyed in three days, it'll be rebuilt. And they're saying, it took like 26 years to build this. What are you, who are you, what are you talking about, Jesus? But what he's talking about is understanding that through his death is actually where heaven and earth will come together. Heaven and earth meets. And we begin to, to re- realize that his body, Jesus' body, is now the reference of the temple, which then means it's through Jesus that we have the, this close presence with God. And so in this process of, of him understanding what, or what Jesus has done in this temple of just saying, you know what, you've made it about something that it not, is not supposed to be. And, and then he's, he's reestablishing who he is and, and why it's so important that we understand that Jesus's role in this gospel and this story is he now becomes the entrance point for us to have this heaven and earth connection. Okay, number three, he has this encounter with Nicodemus. So um, chapter three is where we begin uh, that survey of, of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee or a rabbi, and he basically is asking Jesus how it is to be saved. And Jesus gives this ex- explanation that... Um, that you have to be born again. So initially, Nicodemus comes to you and he acknowledges Jesus as a great teacher. And he almost puts Jesus in the same level as himself and say, oh, you must be a rabbi like I'm a rabbi. And Jesus likes, no, Israel doesn't need another rabbi. (laughs) We don't need more good teachers. What we need is a heart transformation. And so, so he's, Jesus begins to unpack this idea for the early Jewish people, but then also for us, that we can't realize your, your way to connect with heaven, your way to connect with God is through a mental teaching or just this um, intellect, that the reality is he, he has to come into our hearts and he actually allows us to be born again. Our spirit is regenerated and that's a hard concept to for people to understand who are very intellectual because it, sometimes it doesn't make intellectual sense this idea of our spirit being renewed or reborn and it was kind of like what what do we have to crawl back into the mother's womb to be born again i mean he's and he didn't get it this teacher 
But it was, Jesus was saying that it was being born again that we can experience the kingdom of God. And I would say to you, if you're checking out Jesus and you don't know who Jesus is, you won't be able to understand the kingdom of God until you receive Jesus into your life. Because that is what allows your spiritual eyes to be opened up to function in the kingdom of God. All right. Next. A well. So Jesus has this encounter uh, with a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, the wells were very significant back then. It, it very well could have been that this was Jacob's well, that this, uh, that this encounter takes place. Jacob was a character in the Old Testament. He was uh, there. Jacob was this, the father of Joseph. So if you know the story or the account of uh, Joseph, you know, the coat of many colors, Joseph, not the musical, but uh, the real historical account of Joseph who became the king or the prince of Egypt. Um, he was his father. He was known for digging these wells. Wells were very significant because if you, it, it's kind of deserty land, right? If you didn't have a watering hole for your livestock or for your village, uh, you would not survive and you wouldn't prosper. So the idea of the well was always based on prosperity. If you had a well and a really good well, a really deep well, a well that would stay, keep water in it all year long, that, that was just, it was God's blessing and prosperity as they viewed it. But this Jewish, uh, or the Samaritan woman who was a non-Jew, which again, Jesus, who was a Jew, um, they would not be interacting. First of all, as a woman, um, there's a lot of cultural um, protocols that were broken at this encounter. But, but Jesus comes and has this engagement with her, and he says, you're searching and longing for something that this well itself will not quench your thirst. This water, this, this thing that you're here for that you think is, is this blessing for you actually is only symbolic to the, the true living water that Jesus himself would give all humanity. And Jesus begins to have this encounter and reveals another part about himself, which is Jesus is the one who allows the innermost thirsts of our being to be satisfied. Yes and amen. And he's also saying that when we receive this water, when we receive this fullness, when we receive Jesus, that now we we're the carriers of the qualities of God, of this eternal love that God has for humanity. And so when you put it in that perspective, you have to ask yourself, am I acting Christ-like? Am I acting Christ-like? Am I acting God-like? You know, the qualities of God, are they representative in my life? Okay, so I just kind of gave you the survey. Go back in there, dig through there. I really want to talk to you about um, another. So this is the comma. This is kind of like message part two. I'm going to weave a couple parts from these things of who Jesus revealed himself to be and the kingdom of God and how we're to function in it. But I also want to just talk about, introduce another little topic uh, for a moment. So the topic I want to introduce to you, though, is the, the understanding that God, and this is why I love our membership and, and introducing new members, because they're committing to say we're following Jesus and what he has for the call of this church. 
So Jesus has a unique calling on this body. And um, my sense, and, and uh, we had a meeting with some elders this week, and that was their sense as well, that, that the Lord, and we've been feeling this for some time, that, that he has a great call in this church, and he wants to use us to not only impact the people who come here, but really impact a greater area, whether it's New Hampshire, whether it's a greater conquer, we don't know the influence, but, but there's a sense that God has a destiny on this church to have even greater influence than we have right now. And because of that, though, um, we have an enemy that wants to thwart the work of God. Something that I've just come more keenly aware of is the importance of being proactive to not allow the enemy to get into things and disrupt what God is wanting to do. And so I want to just kind of highlight a few things based on uh, some things that we read through John of just kind of being proactive because as God wants to use us in greater ways, the, the attacks of the enemy will come at us in greater measure. And so we have to be strengthened, we have to be aware, and we have to know how to overcome the tactics. Nothing to be afraid of, but there is, but there is some direct biblical ways that we can deal with some of the stuff that's going to better prepare us. Because I think sometimes I've just realized, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, but not realizing, man, we're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. So first of all, um, I want to talk to you about James chapter 3. And you can read this uh, a little bit later, but I want you to write this down. James 3, 5 through 12. It talks about the power of your tongue. Uh and the importance that we realize that our tongue can actually have a lot of, do a lot of good. We can build up, we can encourage, we can praise, we can worship God, but our tongue can also do a lot of damage. One of the things that James talks about is that our, just a little spark, our tongue is like a little spark. If you remember the forest fires in California, it just took one little spark to do, have destruction on so many homes, on forests. And that's what James says. That this destruction, um, is, is so real. And I want to turn there for a second because he says this. James chapter 3. I guess I better get over where it is. Okay. It says, For every kind of beast and bird uh, or reptile the sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Oh, then it says before that, it says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And he's talking about the tongue is like a fire. Now, the interesting thing, though, about this, but no human being can tame the tongue. We read that and kind of say, like, well, I guess, I guess it can't be tamed. Therefore, oh, well, our tongue's going to, we know our tongue's going to have some destruction out there, kind of cause some destruction. And, and that's the wrong thinking. I want you to say, but no human being can tame the tongue. I want us to go back to, to the woman at the well and understanding what living water is in us. We cannot tame the tongue. The human nature cannot tame the tongue. However, the Spirit of God can tame your tongue. And so when we begin to unpack this and saying, Holy Spirit, I want more of you in my life because I don't like what always comes out of my tongue. I don't like that my tongue can, can 
um, can tear down. I don't like that my tongue can have the ability to be critical or negative. And we have to realize, see, our tongue has the ability to cause destruction. And so I want to caution us, make sure the things that are coming out of your mouth are lifting up, encouraging, and, uh, and let's talk more about the Lord than talk about the world, <laughs> right? Talk about the good things of God. All right, so one, watch your tongue and know that our nature is we can't do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God inside of us to make sure our tongue does not tear down, does not uh, cause destruction. The next thing is uh, dealing with conflict. So your tongue can create all kinds of stir and create all kinds of conflict, right? Right? Okay. So there is a biblical way to deal with conflict. And I think sometimes we try to wrestle through, and I'm this one, I'm an extrovert, so I process out loud. So sometimes I will start having conversations with people about situations that, you know, I'm not tearing down, but maybe they're not positive situations. And I talk about it with other people. Well, guess what? I've just now used my mouth to lay out other negative thoughts to other people. So for me as an extrovert, I got to be careful how I speak. But if there's conflict, there is a very great biblical way to deal with that. And that's in Matthew chapter 18. I really want to encourage you this because, you know, we have an enemy that's going to kill, steal, destroy, right? So he will actually, and, and I've I worked with some people this week who are struggling in their marriage. And I said, don't trust your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. And the reason I know that is because the enemy can work through your feelings and speak untrue things to your mind. And that will create these scenarios that become not even truth. And so we have to watch out, and, and this is the way we do it. So if he can speak lies to us, we have to resolve conflict in a godly way, which means it exposes wrong thinking in a way that brings relationships back together. So in Matthew chapter 18, it talks about conflict. It says, if a brother or sister sins against you, Go directly to that person. It's not saying go talk about it with everybody else. He says, go talk to a person, the person <laughs> who sinned against you, and try to make it right. Say, hey, you know that conversation? Man, I, I just, I felt like you were like attacking me or coming after me. Can, can you help me understand that? And then that gives the person to say, oh man, I, I wasn't trying to attack you at all. I was just like ramped up that day and maybe my words were a little harsher than they needed to be. Oh, really? But if the person, now the Bible says this, Matthew chapter 18, read this um, chat starting in, in verse 15. It's important that you read this. So if you go to that person and they say, hey, you know what? Um, I, I just don't agree with you and I don't, I can't hear you. Or the person's like, he's not getting it, man. He's got this blind spot. He's not getting it. You bring another person with you and say, can we sit down together? Can you kind of help me have this conversation? That's the way that we protect our unity. That's the way that we protect um, from allowing the enemy to cause stir. And lastly, I got to go really quick on this one. And this was really, 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 really important. Not that the other ones weren't important. It's all good. This idea of holding every thought captive. 
We're so quick to talk. Bible says be quick to listen, not quick to talk. Hold every thought captive because uh, our thoughts, again, that can be controlled by, influenced by the enemy, can have these, these demolishing effects. But when we allow them to be under the control of the Spirit of God, and that's why we, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to be in worship. We need to keep our, our mouths speaking and praising to Jesus because he begins to cleanse our mind. He begins to help us with our thinking. This idea of, of Jesus, going back to John now, this idea of Jesus in the temple, where this idea of heaven and earth comes together. He's realizing that in that section, he's saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on, on earth will also be loosed in heaven. Now, sometimes we think about that, just think, well, that's like a the spiritual talk. Like, I'm going to bind the enemy and therefore he'll be bound. And I, I want to propose something, a little thought, a different thought on that. I, I want you to say if, because it goes along with this verse in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It says, if you don't forgive, the Lord won't forgive you. What he's saying is there's a direct connection from heaven to earth. That, that when we hold unforgiveness against somebody else, and I don't believe that God is up there and saying, oh, you're not holding forgiveness. I'm not going to forgive you. I think it says this. I think it says, when you hold unforgiveness, you've bound yourself and another person, mainly yourself. You've bound yourself and you can't receive the forgiveness from God because you're so bound. And so he's saying, I want you to loose things on earth and so things in heaven can be loosed on you. And if we can get that principle, then we realize, oh man, you're right. I got to offer lots of grace. Oh yeah, I got to forgive a whole lot. Oh yeah, I got to be generous. Not have to be, but it's the principle of what you reap, you'll sow. And so you have to just kind of keep these short accounts and you have to say, hey, you know what? I want to just release people. I just want to love people. I want the qualities of the kingdom of God to be exemplified in my life. And therefore, that means I've got to do the things that Jesus did. All right. I just like you this morning. But I know that I do know. All right. You got something out of it. That's good. Um, I'm just asking that you take one of those things. I gave you a survey that unlocked, Jesus was unlocking the principles of the kingdom to us and his nature to us. But then there's some other things that I really, really, really want us to know that the spirit of God resides in this church and Jesus is the head of the church and he wants to do incredible things through us, but we have an enemy that wants to thwart that activity. It wants to, it wants to bring a, a distraction he wants to bring destruction. And the only way that we have to posture ourselves, keep our eyes on Jesus, walk humbly before the Lord. You pray like David, search my heart, oh God. If there's any evil way, if there's anything unpleasing to you, God, let me be quick to make things right. Because as we make things right on earth, things are made right in heaven.
There's this connection between heaven and earth. We don't live just on the earth. There is, there's a portal, if you want to call it that, that, that comes to heaven today for us. We live the kingdom of God today, here and now. And I am out of time. And I want to pray for you. All right. As I'm praying, if those who are willing to uh, pray come forward, we're going to take it. We'll have a song afterwards, though, too. And um, I just want to make sure that you're available to pray for some folks. But Lord Jesus, I just pray a covering and protection over this church. I want this church to have a direct connect from heaven to earth. I want the, the heavenlies, your spirit, your presence, everything that's in heaven to be manifest here in this church through us. That's not the place when I say the church is not this physical building, but we are the church, the people, that we would manifest heaven wherever we go. That as we would um, loose things on earth, it would be loosed for us, Lord Jesus, in our own personal lives. Jesus, I pray that we would not hold on to anything, any offense, any, um, any conflict, anything, but Lord, we would do the biblical hard work to come and make things right. Father, I just pray that you would just continue to use us as your vessels, use this church to manifest your kingdom here on earth. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And if there's anybody here today that has not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, if you just rise to your feet right now while everybody's heads are closed, just stand up just so I can see you here. Just, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'll just stand up and then you can sit back down. I just want to know who you are. There's something about a physical action. Sometimes I ask you to raise your hands. This morning I feel like I want you to stand. If that's you, if you've never accepted Christ into your life before, Everybody's here? Everybody's a follower of Jesus? Are you not ready yet? Okay. Please be inviting your friends to come who don't know Jesus. We want to introduce them. So Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we're all followers of you. We're on this journey to follow you. And Lord, help us to be your salt and light to this world. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If this ministry has impacted you and you would like to partner with Grace Capital Church to impact the communities around you, please join us at gccnh.com forward slash partners.